begin to delve into this first chapter, Philippians, and we're going to title this first chapter, Joy in Suffering. Everybody say, Joy, Joy. In, suffering. in Suffering. Now, that actually sounds like two diametrically opposed situations there, joy and suffering. Because in most of our minds, we don't think about having joy when we're going through something. Can I get two witnesses out there? If I were to ask you, amen, do you want some joy? Yeah, and you, and you say, yeah, and I say, okay, let me, let me make you suffer. You know, oh, no, no, no. But joy in suffering. Each one of these chapters of this book, we're going to deal with joy. First chapter deals with joy in suffering. The second chapter is going to deal with joy in serving. The third chapter is going to deal with joy in believing. And lastly, chapter four deals with joy in giving. So we're going to talk through these things because I think there's some principles that we can learn from Paul's letter to the saints at Philippi that can help us as a church here in, 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 in Benton, Louisiana, a church called EBC. Amen. Elizabeth Baptist Church of Benton Incorporated. That's who we are. And so I think there's some lessons that we can learn. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to actually thank the Philippians for the gift that they had sent him. And he also uh, writes it to strengthen these believers by showing them, listen to this, that true joy comes from Jesus Christ alone. Everybody say true joy comes through Jesus Christ alone. I know some of y'all out there thought that man could give you joy. But you soon found out after being with that man for a period of time, he can't give you joy. As a matter of fact, he can give you a whole lot of stuff besides joy, amen. But, but you, you thought that woman that you were connected with was going to be the best thing since sliced light bread. And now that you've been with her for 15 years, you're like, uh-uh, don't slice the bread. Keep it together and put it back in the oven. I don't know what kind of sense that makes. But joy, true joy, everybody say true joy. True, true joy comes through Christ Jesus alone, Stacy. True joy doesn't come by having a bunch of money. There are myriads of people who have money but are most miserable. True joy doesn't come from being famous and have your name plastered across every television screen. That, that doesn't bring true joy because that's, that's actually temporary. Because you can be famous today, come on, and not heard of tomorrow. You can get your 15 minutes, 15 minutes of fame and, 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 and think that you, you're an internet sensation. I remember that, 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 uh, uh, that time that, that, that something happened. This guy came out the department building and said, ain't nobody got time for that. You know, he, he was famous, but a later of man. He was, he, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, all right. 15 minutes of fame, but it's now gone. So joy doesn't come by being famous. True joy comes from Christ alone. Now listen to what happened here. Now Paul, at the time that he's writing this scriptural text, is actually in prison in Rome. And in spite of his difficult circumstances as a prisoner in Rome, Paul is actually rejoicing, guys. Now I want to know how many of y'all could rejoice in jail? I mean, if you were put in jail for something that you did not do, how many of you would really be there rejoicing? I, I think we, most of us have a hard time rejoicing with me. We, we, we'd be in a state of depression trying to get up out of there, right? Now, the secret of his joy is Paul had a single mind. He was single-minded, man. He lives for Christ and the gospel. Single-minded. Any of y'all ever had a one-track mind before? Have you ever been accused of having a one-track mind? Any guys ever been accused of having a one-track mind? Any brothers been accused of having a one-track mind? Y'all know what that means? Any sisters been accused of having a one-track mind? You, your, 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 your mind just focus on getting some more stuff. Paul had a one-track mind. He was single-minded in his purpose, and that was to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1 and 21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But what really is the single mind? What, what, what are we talking about? The single mind is, is the attitude that says it makes no difference what, what happens to me just as long as Christ is glorified 
and the gospel is shared with others. That was Paul's single mindedness. He said, I don't, it, it doesn't matter that I'm in jail right now. I'm just worried about whether or not Christ is being preached and the gospel is being advanced to transform folks' lives. Paul had joy in the midst of suffering. Paul rejoiced in spite of his circumstances because his circumstances strengthened, number one, the fellowship of the gospel. Number two, it, 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 it promoted the furtherance of the gospel. And thirdly, it guarded the faith of the gospel. Three things, three, three reasons. Paul, Paul, Paul's, Paul's circumstances strengthened the fellowship of the gospel. We're going to go through each one of these. The fellowship of the gospel. Everybody say fellowship of the gospel. It, 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 it promoted the furtherance of the gospel. Everybody say furtherance of the gospel. In other words, getting the gospel out there, spreading it throughout, amen, Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, amen. And it guarded the faith of the gospel. So let's look at this first one right quick, the fellowship of the gospel. There's a lot of talk about fellowship, but I would submit to you that most people don't understand what true fellowship is all about, amen. The word fellowship simply means to have in common. Everybody say have in common. But true Christian fellowship is really much deeper than just having some things in common rather than just sharing a meal together or having a church program where you come and support my program. And in next month, when you have your 230 program, I come and support your program. And we call that fellowshipping. Is that is that been our concept of fellowship? But that's not really Christian fellowship because when I come to your church for a three o'clock program, that's good. But that's not really true fellowship. We come and have a program. We leave and probably won't talk to you until next year. So if I don't talk to you but once a year and when you come to my program, I see you. That's not true Christian fellowship. Are y'all listening to me today? So so the fellowship of the gospel is his circumstances strengthen the fellowship of the gospel. Too often we think, what we think is fellowship is really only being acquainted with somebody or acquainted with a group of people or having friendship with a group of people. You cannot have fellowship with someone unless you have something in common. I think it was Amos 3 and 3 said, how can two walk together except they agree? And you will not have true fellowship unless there's some commonality. And that commonality we're talking about is the commonality of having Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Really being saved, not just a church member. Can I get a witness? And so, so when we talk about Christian fellowship, this means possessing that eternal life within your heart. How many of y'all know people who have their names on church rolls, but really, when you really get down to their life, it's not indicative of somebody who knows Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been, have you ever been sitting in church and, and I'm not talking about right now. So, so let's, let's, so, so lay down your, your, your shield right now. I'm not talking about right now, but have you ever came to church after having parted all night Saturday? I need two or three hands raised. You, 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 you roll up in church, wasn't too long left the club and see your eyes sometimes with bloodshot red, but you roll up in the church. Talk about we're going to have some good fellowship. Baby, you ain't fellowship, but you're just doing something. Are y'all with me today? See, true Christian fellowship means that there has to be some commonality. We have to have come together on the common ground that we have Christ Jesus, amen, abiding as our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Christian fellowship. Unless a person has trusted Christ as his Savior, he knows nothing of the fellowship of the gospel. In Philippians 2 and 1, Paul writes about the fellowship of the Spirit because when a person is born again, he receives the gift of the Spirit. There is also the fellowship of his suffering. When we share what we have with others, this is also called fellowship, okay? Uh, we also, Paul in one uh, verse is tra translated in 4 and 15, is translated to communicate, to share. So fellowship involves, amen, having, first of all, the commonality of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I said Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about church membership. Guys, please hear me. There are people who are sitting in churches who have their names on the road but have never had a conversion experience. And been there a number of years and have, have been duped into thinking that just because I come to church, just because my name is on the roll, just because I've been baptized, that I have, amen, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. See, when he's your Lord and Savior, it will show up in how you live, 
how you give, how you act. Amen. So true Christian fellowship is much more than just having your name on the church roll or being present at on a Sunday morning uh, service. Okay. So it's it's possible. Amen. How many of y'all know it's possible to be close to people? Amen. Physically and be miles away from them spiritually. It's possible to be in the same church, be in the same household, but no, don't have true Christian fellowship. And that's what Paul is getting at right now, because if, if we're going to learn how to have joy in suffering like Paul did, one of the things we got to make sure of is that we've had a conversion experience. We, we, we need to make sure we know what it means to be born again. To have invited Christ into our hearts to save us. Amen. When you have the single mind, you will not complain about your circumstances because you know that difficult circumstances will result in the strengthening of the fellowship of the gospel. Joy and suffering. Everybody say joy and suffering. Here Paul was in a Roman jail, yet he's saying I'm rejoicing because of my brothers and sisters in Philippi who sent for my necessity, but also he's joyful because of the work that they're doing in spreading the gospel. Paul here uses uh, uh, three thoughts here in verses 1 through 11 that describe true Christian fellowship. So let's look at those real quickly and we're going to move, move on forward. Three thoughts in verses 1 through 11 that describe true Christian fellowship. Number one, he says, I have you in my mind. You're in my mind. Everybody say, you're in my mind. Isn't it remarkable that Paul is thinking of others and not of himself while he's incarcerated unjustly? He's thinking about other people. He says, I have you in my mind. You're, uh, you're on my mind. Amen. And see, it's, it's amazing to me when you think about this. Here this guy was, amen, put in a place, uh, no fault of his own, really. But here he is thinking about other people. Now, that, that takes a strong man to do that. Because most of us will be thinking about the injustice that has been, that's been uh, put on us, amen, at that point in time. We think about how can we get out of here, and we, we'll probably be in there complaining. How many of y'all, if you know yourself like you know yourself, you probably be complaining while you're in there? Anybody in the house? Come on, let's be honest. You're sitting there in jail, and, but here he is thinking about others. Paul's mind was focused on the believers in Philippi, and every recollection that he had, every memory that he had about them brought him joy. Now, I want to ask you a question. If I start thinking about you as your pastor, you think you would give me joy? I'm just asking. I hope you would say yes. It's not a trick question. Paul is thinking about the saints in Philippi, and it brought him joy. I wonder if I start focusing on you, would it bring me joy? You say, I don't know, preacher. <laughs> well, listen, it depends on how a relationship is. It depends on how faithful and committed you are. If, if, if I think about you and, and, and it don't bring me joy, then maybe our Christian fellowship is not where it needs to be. When you think about other believers, how do you, how do, what, what, what kind of mindset comes up in your heart? What kind of thinking comes along when you start thinking about other brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellow church members? Is it joy or is it sorrow? Is it, is it, is it anticipation of seeing that person again? Because you know that person, amen, is living for the Lord. That person is, is carrying the gospel. That person has been a living example. Or is that what you think about? Or do you think about all the mistakes that they've made? Do you think about their, their lack of commitment? Do you think about their lack of, of support of ministry? Their lack of being faithful and committed? See, I want, it, when, when Jesus Christ thinks about me, I want my life to bring joy to his heart. And I pray that that's, you want the very same thing, amen? So Paul says, I have you in my mind. If you look at Acts the 16th chapter, you'll discover that some things happened to Paul uh, at Philippi. And, 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 and the memory of those things probably in most of our minds would have produced sorrow. But in Paul's mind, it produced joy. He was illegally arrested and beaten. Not just arrested, but he was beaten. Everybody say he was beaten. <laughs> illegally arrested and beaten. He was placed in the stocks and he was humiliated before the people. Amen. But even those memories brought Paul joy. Amen. Because it was through that suffering that the jailer found Christ. Y'all remember when they were in, in, in the Philippian jail? Uh, and, and, and when Paul and, Sil Paul and Silas that were praying, 
at midnight, they began to pray. The jailer came in after the doors had been broken open and he thought the prisoner had escaped and they, they were still sitting right there. And that man was led to Christ along with all of his household. So even though Paul was in jail, even though he had been beaten, arrested illegally, he's remembering that through my suffering, that jailer got saved. Because guess what? He was single minded. He had a one track mind. And that was to further the gospel message. Amen. Let's get back. Get back. Let's go back to verse number. If you will, pop up verse number three in Philippians chapter number one. Let's walk through that right quick. Amen. Those memories brought Paul joy. Amen. Paul recalled Lydia in her household, the poor slave girl who was demon possessed and the other dear Christians at Philippi. And each memory was a source of joy for him. And I want to know, will your memory be a source of joy for other Christians? When people think about you, will they get joy? Amen. When Christ thinks about you and about me, will we bring him joy? Watch what the text says. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Verse number four, let's read. It says what? Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with what? With joy. It was a source of joy to Paul to know that God was still working in the lives of his fellow believers at Philippi. After all, this is the real basis for joyful Christian fellowship, to have God at work in our lives day by day, to watch God moving in the lives of people. Watch God, amen, doing a, an awesome work in your life. Guys, every time I get testimonies on Wednesday nights about what the Lord is doing in the lives of the saints, man, it gives me great joy. I, I rejoice with you. I Listen, th- th- there's not a jealous bone in my body when God blesses you, amen, because I, I know he is a faithful God. If he did it for you, he can do it for me. Can I get a witness? And so I rejoice when God elevates or promotes somebody. Too many times in the church, guys, if we're honest about it, people get jealous, amen, and envious when God promotes somebody. And they sit there, and they'll, when, when you get your praise, well, I want to thank the Lord that I got this promotion in my job, and it's a $30,000 a year raise. Somebody over there thinking, well, you know what? I ain't got no raise. And, 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 and I've been praying for the last 10 years, and I've been tithing and giving off, and Lord, what about me? Rather than rejoicing with that person who got that $30,000 a year raise, we'll sit over there and have a pity party. Right? Learn how to have joy when God is working in the lives of other people. And, and when I say working in the lives of other people, I mean, Paul was excited that they were doing the work of ministry, guys. And it brought him joy, even though he was in the midst of suffering. Okay, So Paul says, I have you on my mind. It's important for us, guys, to continually to think about other believers. I want to ask you a question. When you look at your prayer life, how much of your prayer life is geared on God bless me. Think about it, think about it for a second. How much of your prayer life you're praying about you and your family and what you need? How much of your prayer life is focused on others, lifting others up, interceding on their behalf, going to the throne room of grace on, on, on fellow believers' behalf. How much of our prayer life is focused on that? I think if we really are honest about it, not nearly enough of our prayer life is based on interceding for other people. But we are called to be engaged in intercessory prayer. Can I get a witness? So Paul here gives us a, a, a perfect example of the type of mindset that we should have. He says, I have you in my mind. I'm thinking about you even as I'm sitting in this jail. Let's keep reading. Go back with me, uh, if you will, to verse number five. It says, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Verse number six says what? And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Listen to me very carefully. God will never be through with us until we see Christ face to face. So listen, I'm like Paul. My prayer is that, that God, that, that if, if you say, if you're really saved and you start pursuing God, God is going to complete his good work in you. He says this, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. How many of y'all know fellow believers who started out strong, but they faded? Y'all know anybody? 
Y'all know anybody that started out with you, but they're no longer walking with the Lord? How many of y'all know people who, are, who, who, who started out, amen, born again experience, working in, in, with the Lord, but now they've kind of on the, on the peripheral when it comes to church life? Look at me. How many of you sitting there on the peripheral? Amen. Disconnected, disengaged, not really doing anything but sitting on Sunday morning. Now listen, I love you and thank God that you're here, but what God is saying, amen, our work expands beyond Sunday morning worship time. Our work, what Paul was talking about here was believers who were furthering the gospel. And he was excited and he was joyful because those, those saints at Philippi were spreading the good news. He had them on their mind. So, guys, what we got to do is, is we got to start encouraging one another to not turn loose the rope. Don't turn loose God's hand. Amen. Keep our focus on God and keep moving forward. Everybody say move forward. So the first thing is, first off, what Paul said, I have you in my mind. First, second thing is, I have you in my heart. Look at verses 7 and 8 right quick. I have you in my heart. It's one thing to have somebody in your mind. But it's another thing to have them in your heart. It's one thing to have somebody in your mind, you thought about them, but it's a whole different level to have them where? In your heart, in your heart, in your heart. Yeah. When Paul gets here, he gets a little bit deeper, guys. He goes a little bit deeper because, again, it's it's possible to have others in our minds without really having them in our hearts, which y'all agree with me. How many, you, you know, if somebody's in your heart, that means that, that, that there's a deeper connection than just a, a, a cursory surface connection. And, and, and sometimes, guys, we're not careful in the church. We'll, we'll disregard people from the standpoint of having them at a heart level. We have them at a head level, but not a heart level. God wants us to connect so closely together as a part of our discipleship training, as a part of our, our, our growth as a believer, such that when, 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 when we are, are disconnected in any shape, form, or fashion, it bothers us. If it don't bother you not to see a fellow believer, then you're not closely connected to that person enough. Listen to me carefully. If it doesn't bother you to see them miss church, then you, there's not a close enough connection. We got to get out of our head and into where? Into our heart. Christian love is that tie that binds us. Love is the evidence of salvation. We know that we are passed from death to life, 1 John 3 and 14 says, because we love the brethren. Pop up 1 John 3 and 14 right quick. Let's look at that right. 1 John 3 and 14. How do you know you're really saved? If this stuff doesn't really mean anything to you, if you never really uh, have a, a, a... a, a deep conviction about people and their lives and what's happening with them, uh, maybe you don't really know what true salvation is. Maybe you're a church guy. How many of y'all, were, how many of y'all grew up in the church? Let me see hands. How many of y'all grew up in the church? Let me see hands. How many of y'all know church, no hymns, no protocol? Huh? Nowhere to stand. Nowhere to sit. Huh? We know all that stuff. But see, God is saying, I need you to go beyond just being a church guy or church woman. I need you to go beyond just knowing church protocol. And I need you to begin to commune with me and to love on people and help disciple people. That's what Paul was all about. Amen. Paul could have joy in the midst of suffering because he was still communing. Amen. With the folks in Philippi. He's writing this letter to watch what the text says here. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters. Y'all not reading with me. Come on, let's read together. Let's read. If we, out loud, our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is what? Still dead spiritually. Look at what he's saying. He says, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. He's talking about dead spiritually. So if you don't really care about people, if, 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 if people are not really any of your concern, check your salvation. Because anybody who has Jesus abiding their heart will care about people enough to, to be able to reach out to people. If there is no love, you're still dead spiritually. 
if you could care less whether that person is, 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 is saved, if you could care less about what that, what that, what that person is in their, in their Christian walk, then there's a good chance you have not passed from death to life. Still dead spiritually. Can I get a witness? So how did Paul, how did Paul evidence his love for them? For one thing, he was suffering on their behalf. Everybody say he was suffering on their behalf. His, his, his bond, him, him being incarcerated was proof of his love. He was the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. Uh, uh, have you ever, let me ask you a question. Have you ever suffered through something or some situation on the behalf of someone you love? Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all ever suffered through a place of employment that really wasn't a place where you wanted to be? And then maybe it was a it was a it was a place that there really was not a good work environment, but you stayed there because you got some miles to feed. I need some hands raised. You, you've been in that place and you say, this, this is not the place for me. God, I know I appreciate it. You gave me this job. I'm not ungrateful. I'm not going to whine and complain. Come on. Because too many of y'all sit there and whine and complain when you didn't have a job. You blame, oh, Lord, please, Jesus, Jesus, anything, Jesus, Jesus, right now, Lord. And the Lord gave you the job. And here's the thing about it. For the first two months, when I talked to you, it was the best thing since sliced light bread. People couldn't do no wrong. And then all of a sudden, just like you do at every other job, now it's somebody else. I told you before and I'll tell you again, you're the common denominator. If you can't get along on the job, every place you go, it's you. Let me say it again. You're the common denominator. You're the one that people can't get along with. So check yourself. But be grateful. But see, some of us, some of us know this. Because you love your, 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 your kids, you love, amen, uh, your parents and whoever else you're taking care of, you suffer through some, maybe some, some, some unjust situation because you knew you had a loved one to take care of. Right? Am I right about that? And so you stayed there because you suffered through that situation. How many of y'all have suffered through maybe some, some bad relationships because you, you were concerned about a loved one? Anybody in the house? Sometimes we suffer through situations, and that's what Paul was doing here. Paul, Paul, was, Paul was suffering, amen, as the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. Can I get a witness? And, and so what we got to realize is that there are going to be some times in our walk with the Lord where it's not going to be all easy peasy. There are going to be some times when we got to suffer through some things. Now the question becomes, how strong will you be and how, how full will your joy be when you're in the midst of that suffering? When you know that suffering is for the advancement of the cause of Christ. Amen. Because of Paul's trial, Christianity was going to get a fair hearing before the officials in Rome. And since Philippi was a Roman colony, y'all, the decision would affect the believers there also. So Paul's love was not something he merely talked about. It was something that he practiced, y'all. How many of y'all know there are people who talk about love, but they don't practice love? We, we, we were sharing even in our, in our men's study uh, on yesterday. We, we started a new study in the book. And, and, and I'm going to encourage you, all men, get to, get to our uh, G-Men fellowship. And we, talk, we have authentic manhood discussion. And, and the, the, the new book that we're on right now is a man and his marriage. And we're, we're learning even more so what God's definition of, of, of an authentic Christian man and husband is. And so that, that learning, that information is helping us to be able to re, redefine what a good man is. See, back, most of y'all, when y'all were coming up, uh, 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 if, you, if you pass 40, a good man was a man who went to work, brought his check home, took care of his family. He said, that's a good man. And that was our definition, wasn't it? Oh, he's a good man. He's good. Make him a deacon. Make him a deacon. Dude, don't even study the Bible. But he make good money, though. And so our definition of what a good man is or was was somewhat distorted. Because we only thought about providing for the family. Did most of y'all go up on that concept? Provide for your family. You're a good man. You provide for your family. And granted, if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. A good man will provide for his family. But an authentic God man goes beyond just making the money. What kind of spiritual foundation 
are you setting for your family? What kind of uh, 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 husband and leader are you in your home? So we're learning that stuff. We're learning how to do it God's way. One of my brothers said this, and it blessed me so. He says, when we're talking about uh, the, this, uh, the attitude of rebellion, rebellion in its base form is knowing what God's word says, but then not doing it. And how many of you know there's a lot of men, there's a lot of women, a lot of children who know what God's word says, but simply refuse to do it. Not boisterous, not braggadocious, not coming, making a whole lot of disturbance, but you sit there in quiet rebellion. Knowing that what the word of God says, you have no intention of doing it. And when you do that, guys, you put yourself in a position where God cannot bless you. So we're learning how to be uh, 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 authentic God, man. We're learning how to, to carry ourselves in the right way so that we can, we can further the gospel's message, okay? So Paul says, I have you in my mind, but not only do I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart. He considered his difficult circumstances an opportunity for defending and confirming the gospel. And this is going to help his brethren everywhere. But how can Christians learn to practice this kind of love? Because again, everybody say I love, but then love is not being shown. I told you before, love is an action word. Can I get a witness? Love is what? An action word. Love is an action word. Let me say again. Everybody say love is an action word. Don't just say it, but you got to model it. Can I get a witness? Love is an action word. How can this Christian, how can we as Christians learn to practice kind of love? Well, it starts with understanding that Christian love is not something that we just work up. Just conjure it up. It, it's, it's something that God does in us and through us. Go to verse number eight here in Philippians chapter one. Christian love, amen, is something that God does in us and through us. It's impossible for me. I don't know about you, but it's impossible for me to love folk who do me wrong. In and of myself. But you know what? I, I've been loving on folks who, who've been doing me wrong for for a number of years, even in the church. I love on people and do stuff for people who I know been talking about me. And I do it with a smile because it is God working through me. Now, some of y'all are struggling with loving folks who you don't get along with. Come on, can we talk this morning? Some of y'all are struggling with that. And the reason why you're struggling with it, you're trying to do it yourself. And you'll never accomplish it in your own strength. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of what? The tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Uh, Listen, how can we tell that we are truly bound in love to other Christians? I'm going to ask that question. How can we tell that we're truly bound in love to other Christians? Here's how. For one thing, we're concerned about them. If you're not concerned about me, you're not really bound in Christian love with me. Concerned about me. If you see me going into a ditch and don't say anything, you're not really bound in Christian love with me. In other words, here, here's, here's most people's mindset. Well, you know what? They're a grown man. They're a grown woman. They know what they're doing. I ain't going to get in nobody else's business. Is that what we say? I'm going to mind my own business. Baby, let me tell you something. When you come to, to know Christ and you're part of the family of God, then we are our brother's keepers. And when we see another brother or sister going to the ditch, we don't really have Christian love. We just watch them going to the ditch. There you go. Look at him. Look at him. All up in that ditch. Mm, that's a shame. Didn't he know that that last man went to that ditch and that last man lost his family thinking he could... That last man did the same thing, lost his career, lost his family because he thought he could, he could kick it with the side chick and, and thought it wasn't going to get found out. And now it's found out. The covers have been pulled off of it. There you go again. Look at him. See, you ain't right. Because Christian love would have said, listen, I see where this brother's heading and I know where he's going. Let me go and talk to him. Let me go share with him, amen, amen, the gospel truth. Let me go over and, and, and warn him 
that if he keeps on going this direction or whatever that sin may be, that he's going to find himself in a precarious situation. Christian love makes a decision to step in and try to help. Even when that help is not asked for. Let me tell you something. When you when you in sin, you're doing your dirt. You ain't you. you, you first of all, you're trying to hide it. Thinking nobody don't know about it. But let me tell you something. You run around the street, street people talk. How many of y'all remember the days when you were out in the street and you saw church folk out in the street tipping and dipping, diving and shriving, hooking and crooking, and you knew that they sung in the choir on Sunday morning? You knew it, didn't you? Preachers, deacons, ushers. You come, you come to the house of the Lord and the usher there and tell, wasn't he in the club last night? Wasn't he in there just, just bumping and grinding and. But then, come on to the house of the Lord this morning. See, when you're in sin, people who are out there in sin know you're in sin. So guys, Christian love says, when I see my fellow brother or sister struggling, I'm not going to stomp on their head. I'm going to go and try to, Pick them up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let them wallow in that and not say anything. I got to go to them. Maybe they don't. Re- maybe they reject me. Maybe they push me away. But I'm not gonna be guilty of not trying to intervene because that's what Christian love does. It manifests itself. It's concerned, Amen, about others. The believers at Philippi were concerned about Paul, and they sent Epaphroditus to minister to him. Go with me, if you will. Um, uh, go with me to Philippians 2, 25 uh, through 28 right quick. And then we're going to look at 1 John 3 and 18. Philippians 2, 25. So, again, let's go back. Paul uses three thoughts in verses 1 through 11 to describe true Christian fellowship. Number one, I have you in my mind. Okay, I got you in my mind. Second, he says, I got you. I have you in my heart. And true love. Um. Uh, True love uh, manifests itself in our action. Amen. True love manifests itself in our action. Uh, you know, don't let don't let some joker tell you that he loves you, and that and, and that love is not being manifested in how he treats you. It's more than just a word. It's an action. Everybody say love, love. is an action. Action word, amen. It's action word. Watch what the text says. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's writing this to the Philippians. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. They were concerned about Paul and Paul's situation, so they sent to see about his need. Guys, when we, when we know a brother or sister is in need or they're hurting, true Christian love says we step up and we interject ourselves into that person's life. Even when they with their prideful self will say, I don't know. Nah, no. That's okay. I'm good. I'm cool. So you got to get past that thing. Remember I told you before, I had to work on me with that. Because I was, I was the type of cat, you know, no, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Everything good. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. When in actuality, you know, I could have used that help. I could have used uh, the, 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 the thought of whatever you're giving. Because sometimes we get prideful and not want to receive from people. You know, sometimes it's tougher. It's, sometimes it's tougher to receive a gift than to give a gift. Do y'all realize that? How many of y'all, if I walked up and gave you a hundred dollars right now, and said, "No, that's all right, Pastor." Anybody? Oh, not not. <laughs> okay, I had my wallet with me. I left my wallet in the office. Okay. No, see, I don't have it. But there are people, guys. Even listen. If, 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 here's what I've learned. Even if somebody is coming to us and saying that the Lord placed you in my heart to give it to you, learn how to receive. Because you can be blocking that person's blessing. See, God is putting, God is working on them to, to, to learn how to show Christian love, to learn how to give, to learn how to release, and then you tell them, no, that's okay. No, they, they need to be able to sow when the Lord places in their heart for them to sow. So I had to learn how to just say thank you. Don't, don't do all that now. That's all right stuff. Just say, well, thank you. If the Lord puts you in your heart, I'll receive. 
And I learned, but that was tough for me. I'm telling you, that was tough for me. I, 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 when, I, when I boiled it down, it wasn't nothing but pride. That's all it was, it was pride. I ain't want nobody to think I needed anything. You know, some of y'all out there, just like I was, some of y'all still that way. I, no, 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 no. I, I'm good, I'm cool. Now I'll learn how to receive. Amen. And, and learn how to, 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 to embrace when someone is showing you Christian love. Look at what he says. He says, he's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. Verse number 26. Let's read. I am sending him because he has been what? Longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. Now, they had a sent, they had... The Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to take care of Paul's needs. While Epaphroditus was there, helping take care of Paul's needs while he was in a jail in Rome, he got sick. Okay? But now watch what he says here. Next verse. And he certainly was ill. In fact, dude almost died. Dude ain't in there, but I'm just putting it in there, okay? In fact, he almost died. But God, what? Had mercy on him. And also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Paul said, listen, this, this, this man came to bring gifts from you. And wouldn't it, been, it, it would have been a sorrowful situation that he died while he ministered to me. So he said, I thank God that he didn't die. Look at the next verse, 28. Let's read. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I would not be so worried about you. That's what Paul says, okay? Because the Epaphroditus would, would have come back. Now watch it. I told you, uh, one thing, how can you tell that we truly bound in love to other Christians? First of all, we are concerned about them, okay? Look at 1 John 3 and 18 with him right quick. 1 John 3 and 18. We're concerned about them. I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. Have you in my heart? Have you in my heart? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth. How? Don't just say you love Jesus and never do anything with him or for him. Let your love be expressed in your actions. That's what he says, right? Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Amen? By our actions. Amen? Now, another evidence of Christian love is a willingness to forgive one another. Look at what 1 Peter 4 and 8 says from the New Living Translation. 1 Peter 4 and 8, pop it up right there. Another evidence of Christian love is a willingness to forgive one another. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. If you are struggling with forgiveness... Let the Lord deal with you because I'm telling you right now, and, and, and if, if, I, if I were to poll the audience, probably everyone in here has probably had a situation of, of deep hurt and concern that, that makes you think that I, I just, I don't know, Pastor, I'm trying, but I just can't. Do, I told you you can't do it in your own strength in the first place, right? But, but, but you got to be willing to say, God, help me to forgive because this ain't right. I know that if I don't forgive others, my sins won't be forgiven. So I can't go on. I can't be close to you and have an unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody else. That just does not work. If your horizontal relationship with people is not right, your vertical relationship with God can't be right. So quit trying to fool yourself thinking you're all right with God and you ain't all right with people. Did you hear me? Quit fooling yourself and thinking you're all right with God. Oh, yeah, me and Jesus, we just together. No, you're not. Because if you if you harbor unforgiveness, guys, it blocks your fellowship with Christ Jesus. Can I get two witnesses? How about three? How many of y'all, Lord, helped you forgive somebody who you thought you weren't going to be able to forgive? Anybody in the house? Look at what the text says here. Watch this. Watch this. Um, most most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love does what? Love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. What, what they're saying is that love will give you some grace. When love covers a multitude of sins, that means that I don't throw you away when you mess up and you sin against me, when you hurt me. I don't just throw you away because love will cover a lot of stuff. 
And I'm going to tell you something. If, if you're going to be in a relationship with a person in, in an honest, genuine relationship, you're going to have to learn how to cover some stuff. And you got to do it with love. Everybody say love. Love covers a multitude of sins. First Corinthians 13 and 5, latter part in the NLT says, love keeps no record of being wrong. If you're sitting up in here keeping a record of all the bad stuff that somebody's done to you, you messed up. You got to let the Lord deal with you. You can't hold on to stuff that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago or five months ago or five minutes ago or five days ago. That is not right. Love keeps no record of being wrong. So if you keep a record of being wrong, you're not walking in love. If you're not letting that love cover up to the sin, you don't know what Christian love is really all about. Can I get a witness up here? So this is, this is, this is basic, solid Bible teaching. This ain't going to shout the house because I ain't telling you how to get a new car. I'm not telling you how to get a new house. I'm not telling you how to get your, get your finances uh, uh uh, all straight and be debt free. We're going to talk about all this stuff. We do talk about all that stuff. But here I want to deal with the core basis of our Christian faith. Paul says that in the midst of suffering, we can still have joy. While I'm suffering, while I'm in prison, I got joy. Joy in the midst of my suffering because I am single minded. I am single purpose. And that purpose is to make sure that Christ is preached, the gospel is advanced, people are getting saved, and their lives are being transformed. That's what was on his mind. Third thing, and the final thing we'll cover today. He says, I have you in my prayers. I have you in my prayers. First of all, I got you. On my mind. Reminding me of a blues song. I got love. On my mind. Y'all remember that song? See, see, but she had a different kind of love on her mind. But the kind of love I'm talking about is agape love. Agape love says it's unconditional. I know you messed up. I know you hurt me, but but I'm not going to allow that to disrupt our fellowship. I'm going to let the love of Christ overrule and override my hurt and my disappointment because love covers the multitude of sin. I have you in my prayer. Look at verse 9 and verse number 9 through 11. Let's go there right quick and we're going to cut off here today. Joy in suffering. Can you honestly say that in the midst of a trying experience or a trying situation, can you still rejoice? That's the question, because believers who are, who are walking in Christian love learn how to rejoice even when they're going through a time of suffering. He said, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and in what? In knowledge and what? Paul says, I want you to keep growing in knowledge. Child of God, let me tell you something right now. If you're not connected with your, your church's discipleship training model, if you're not spending time at home in prayer and meditation in the word of God yourself, then you're not going to be overflowing, amen, more and more. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. You can't grow in knowledge and understanding when you never pick up the book. Let, let, let me get some of y'all uh, some help. If you spend as much time perusing the Bible as you do perusing Facebook and social media, you'd be, you'd be a, a, a bad, bad believer. Now, some of this one got out of hand. I'm talking to all of us in here. You, you hear people talk like Facebook is the, is the end of all. Yeah, it, it was, I, yeah, I read it on Facebook. What, what, was the, what was the news? I don't know, but it was on Facebook. Yeah, I'm having my problem. You, you, you see it on Facebook? No, I didn't see it on Facebook. Social media is okay in its place. But when it starts to take away our time for word, it's become an idol God. Are y'all listening to me? I didn't say it was evil. I didn't say it was wrong. I'm just saying that when you make up the, the excuse that you don't have time to get in God's word, I, 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 would, I would challenge you to write down every minute of your day and see what, how, you, how you spend that day. I mean, and, and, you, and you're really honest about it. I got, probably got to ask somebody else who watch you because most people aren't going to be honest about what they really do all day long. 
Because you're going to put eight hours at work, but if I go and examine you, you at work, but you ain't working eight hours. <laughs> Some of y'all, I'll tell you before, at the end of the week, go in that office and write that man a check, say, here's $250, because I wasted about that much time this week. <laughs> Just go, go do it. I'm on the phone talking personal business. I'm surfing the internet, doing my grocery shopping. I, 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 I'm there, and I am you know, went to Walmart and got my stuff ready for me when I get off work. Come on, look at me. How many of y'all, if you're really honest, have need to write a check because you did personal stuff on company time? I don't, don't nobody want to raise their hand, do you? Huh? Everybody say, pay the man. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. You can't, you can't grow in knowledge and understanding if you don't spend time in the word. Next verse, 10, 11. Watch this. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ. So I want you to understand what really matters. Back up, verse 10. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Verse number 11. Let's read. It says what? May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character producing your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory. And praise God. Paul found joy in his memories of his friends at Philippi and in his growing love for them. He also found joy and remembered them before the throne of grace in prayer. See, guys, the high priest in the Old Testament wore a special garment, the ephod. He wore that, that ephod over his heart. And on it were 12 stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on them. It, it, it was a jewel for every tribe, okay? And he carried the people over his heart in love. And just like that Old Testament priest did, Paul did the very same thing. He prayed for them. He kept them in his prayer. Perhaps the deepest Christian fellowship and joy we can experience in this life is at the throne of grace, praying with and praying for one another. I want to know how much prayer time you spend praying for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Here are two good tests for us to follow as we exercise spiritual discernment in our prayer time. When we talk about spiritual discernment, Paul prayed for them to have mature Christian love and character. He says, I want you to have mature Christian love and character without offense until the day that Christ returns. Okay, so here are two good tests to follow um, as we try to exercise spiritual discernment in our prayer life and what we do, number one, whatever we do, will it make others stumble? When you look at your life, what you're doing, will it make others stumble? And number two, will I be ashamed if Jesus returned while I'm doing what I'm doing? If what, what, what am I doing? Will it make others stumble? Well, you know, brother, Pastor, I got liberty. You know, I, I can drink. Well, you drinking? Well, will it, make, will it cause somebody else to stumble? And do, do you want to be turning up that Jack Daniel when Jesus comes? Would you be embarrassed? Will it make somebody stumble? Or would you be embarrassed if you were doing that when Jesus came? See, guys, our character, amen, we got to pray for people to walk in Christian character. Too many Christians try to produce results in their own efforts instead of abiding in Christ and allowing his life to produce the fruit in our life. Amen? So three things as we close. Paul said, number one, what? I have you in my mind. Okay, number two, I have you where? In my heart. And number three, I have you where? In my prayers. Every head, body, by close.